Right, right. Great. Great to see you, Stefan. You too, Jeff. This is Liberty uh, Talk issue three. So I want to introduce you to a great national hero, Justin Hanners. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So, so um, let me tell you about him a little bit. So he's a policeman uh, here in Auburn and uh, started this great national sort of controversy uh, objecting to the quota system of tickets that they have here and uh, reminds us in many ways what police work once was and and what it's, what it's become. And so he's been a source of great controversy. He's faced a lot of pressure from local governments and um, has drawn attention, national attention, mainly through the Reason, Reason TV uh, interview that began this whole controversy, uh, to the, you know, essentially to the corruption of police departments. So um, I met him just for the first time uh, this morning. He came by my office. So I thought it would be good for us to, 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 to hang out with. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. So did you watch the Reason TV uh, a video about, about, his, about his police work? No, I didn't see it. Okay. So, and he also went on Stossel about this. Maybe I should just let you tell the story, Dustin. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll try to be a little brief in the high points, but uh, cameras are yep. been, a, been a police officer with Auburn for six years. Um, I was fired here about a year ago. Um, you know, I started back in 2006. Everything was going well. Um, then about 2010, we got a new police chief, and shortly after he came in, they started requiring officers to have two, two tickets a day and two warnings a day. They told us that you would have it uh, on average two a day, two warnings a day, or you'd be written up, you, um, you wouldn't get promoted, you wouldn't get your merit raise, you'd get passed over for special positions, and um, ultimately you'd be fired. Um, I expressed at the time concern about it and said that I disagreed with it for a lot of moral reasons and ethical reasons. Um, and so then they, uh, they kind of baited me. They, they said, well, go ahead and give us a statement. Just saying why you have a problem with this. So I wrote them a three-page thing talking about, you know, the problems, quotas, cause, the ethical and moral concerns. And uh, so they, they took that. And then they, they called me to the office a few days later. And they're like, well, Officer Anders, you know, we, uh, we read your special. But we looked over here where uh, about seven months ago you told an inappropriate joke. So we're going to go ahead and suspend you for four days. We're going to make you forfeits manual leave. And uh, this is basically your last chance to fly straight before we get rid of you. So um, I served my suspension. I go back to work. You know, everything's good for about, I think it was about two years. And then all of a sudden, um, my sergeant, he comes to our shift, and he tells us that our stats, quote, suck, and that he's here to fix us, and that he was going to require us to have 100 contacts a month. 40 could be warnings, but the other 60 had to be either tickets, had to be arrest, had to be non-traffic citations like littering, minor possession of alcohol tickets, or field interviews, Terry stops, stopping spot on the street, patting them down, checking their ID, things like that. Um, Again, expressing some concern. Um, I got written up the first month for not beating my quota. The second month, I exceeded it, but I was still written up because I didn't have enough like uh, citations. I had a lot of field interviews where I was going out and talking with people, but I, I wasn't bringing in anything but you know, but fine to it. And that's one thing they'll say is, you know, they, they don't want you write just fixing tickets. They want meat tickets, something something with a fine attached to it. So uh, after this, they. they Took me off bike patrol. They uh, told me that you know that this was my again my final warning before they started writing up if I couldn't follow these orders. Um, I filed a grievance against the city. I had this seven-page thing talking about you know all this they have done the corrupt, unethical practices about the quota. Um, they all agreed and backed the quota system all the way up to the public safety director, and then it finally went through the, the municipal judge and to the city manager. All of them backed the city on it. And then uh, shortly after that, I was fired. So. Um, now, uh, 
you know, I live in Auburn. I've I've watched this happen, and it's been it's quite revealing to me because I, I felt like I'd have been experiencing this sort of sort of uh, increasing intense intensity of, of uh, ticketing, you know. And I myself had received like half a dozen of these of these things. But I remember from the interview, didn't Auburn actually deny that they had anything like a quota system? Yes, they said that. Uh, well, they they put out multiple segments. One, that they never had a quota system. That they they never required officers to have any kind of um, number-driven contacts, you know, when you got the sergeant recorded saying it, you know, because that's one thing I, I was fired for is secretly recording my sergeant telling us about these quotas and things um, without his knowledge, which is legal in Alabama, but it's just department policy says you have to let them know if, if you have or are going to record them, which they're not going to tell you anything, you know. But, um, but then they put out another statement that says, well, that was isolated to one shift and we fixed it when we knew about it, but I've got all their letters you know, from the public safety director down saying, you know, we agree with this, you know, 100 contacts a month is reasonable, that comes out to about two an hour, you know, and that's, that's not asking a lot of you now. We have federal grants to work traffic overtime positions, and uh, they're required to have two contacts an hour, but they don't back up other officers, they don't answer calls for service, they don't work recs, all they do is write tickets, and we require them to do two an hour, and, you know, that just shows how little they understand of of what else we do, you know, if, if I'm trying to get two contacts an hour, that's all I'm doing my entire shift is working traffic. I'm not hitting businesses, I'm not hitting residential areas, I'm not doing schools, you know, right. I, I, all I'm doing is, you know, that doesn't even give me time to do my paperwork. Yeah, you're just a glorified tax collector, basically. And exactly, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Which is a fascinating thing to think about city revenue is dependent, you run out of, we were talking earlier, you said you thought it was dangerous for, for police to get in the business of uh, collect, being basically revenue collectors. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're supposed to be public servants. You know, we're not supposed to be trying to, to pick the public's pocket or find some reason to put a charge on them. It's supposed to be we serve and protect them, and if we see something that we have to address, we address. It's not supposed to, it, it, it turns you one from a proactive force trying to actually stop high crimes into a reactive force. What we end up doing is sitting around in speed traps all day or worrying about minor violations, and then a crime happens someplace else. We show up after the fact, we take a report, write it down, file it, and then we go back to writing tickets. Nobody's following up to investigate these things. Basically, the police become criminal historians. We're really good at keeping a list of everything that happened. We're doing very little to deter or neutralize it from ever happening or even following up. You, know, you have a small amount of detectives here in a huge caseload. If your street officers aren't working to close these cases, it's basically misdemeanor cases that don't have a degree of training that, say, a high felony case is going to have, you know, then then really it, it just sits in the computer system and, you know, it just goes by priority. You know, if you, you got your car broken into and you had $500 stolen, now any other higher crime keeps pushing you back to the bottom. And if it gets up with a tip from work on it, great. But any other crime is going to push you down. So you might move up, something else come down, and it might not ever get followed up on. Yeah. So... When um, after this became a national controversy, and, and Stephen, this was on, uh, it appeared on the Drudge Report also. You know, so it was kind of a, a kind of a big deal. Um, but did you get contacted by other police officers around the country saying, "Oh my God, oh, this is going on in my city too"? Absolutely, my Facebook blew up. Tons of officers all over the country saying, "You know, same thing." My department really appreciate you doing this because, in my experience, most of the officers, this isn't what they signed up to do. They didn't sign up to write tickets and bully the public. Most of them. Not all, but most of them like the, the serve and protect aspect. They, they don't want to be a bully with a badge. I mean, you do have those. You know, they, they are there. But, uh, you know, most what, of them, how, what percentage do you think that is? I'm just curious. Like, which percentage really want to serve and protect and which are the bullies with a badge? 
all I can speak to is my department, but I would say probably at least 80 to 90 percent were very disgruntled and hated this kind of policy. Um, you know, now there's some that that's how they made their career. You know what I'm saying? Because if you wrote the tickets, if you play the game, you you're moving up. You know, you're so so the majority of guys you're talking about. Why are they? What do they really want their job to be? Are they trying to just help people and prevent crime and do justice? Is that what their basic basic motivation is for being cops? I think so. I think you know, like like me, you know, you, you feel like anytime somebody's going to use their their God given free will to do wrong, to, to do evil against another human, good people that are strong and able should use their God given free will to try to stop it, to try to serve and protect, and that's what you sign up to do. You know. You don't envision yourself as a little kid putting on a badge and pulling people over and writing tickets. You, you picture yourself, you know, chasing the bad guy, stopping the bank robber, stopping, you know, something like that. You know, but uh, you, you don't picture yourself sitting on the side of the road, you know, with a radar gun popping every time somebody goes 15, 10 miles per hour over, or, or rolls through a stop sign, or doesn't cut their blinker on 100 feet before they turn. You know, you don't, you know, that, that doesn't. Or, or, or drug crimes too, right? I mean, I imagine the cops are occupied with traffic crimes and drug crimes, like. Almost exclusively, is there how much is left over for real crimes? Yeah, it, it gets to the point where you know we're we're uh, we're so worried about you know getting the numbers and stuff. We have burglars that we'll catch over and over and over again, but they get right back out on the street and they say, "Well, we don't, we can't hold them, we don't have room." But you know, I know that there's tons of people in jail for you know marijuana charges, right? Minor drug charges, <laughs> things like that. You know, I mean, to me as an officer, what you do in your living room is your business. You know. The, the job of government is to protect people from other people, to protect your rights, not to protect you from yourself. What you choose to do in your living room is, is your business until it violates somebody else's rights. I'm not supposed to be policing you and how you live. I'm supposed to be keeping somebody else from violating your rights. That, that's the only job of government. But one, one analogy uh, I, I like to use where ticket photos make police go awry, one, one thing they teach us at the academy is that there's three types of people in the world. There's sheep. There's sheepdogs and there's wolves, and they say, "You, the police, you're the sheepdog. The public's the sheep, and the criminals are the wolves." You know, yeah, we go after the wolves, but occasionally, you know, a sheep will get a little bit out of the line. You got to nip their heels. They might be driving too fast, or they might be doing drugs or something. You got to nip their heels and get them back in line. Well, the the person they leave out of that analogy is the shepherd, the guy that that the sheepdogs work for. So what you end up happening is the shepherd looks out and he sees, you know, yeah, there's there's uh, some wolves out there. We're, we're not catching them all. And, you know, so what, what we need is more bites. If those sheepdogs are out there and they're biting every day as hard as they can, eventually they're going to bite a wolf. And, you know, I know there's enough sheep stepping out of line that, that they can get enough bites every day. So they say go out and bite. So the police officers go out there, but the problem is the wolf doesn't come out every day. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to have a chance to stop a burglar every day, an uh, armed robber every day. So what happens is the sheepdog go out and they start filling their mouths with sheep blood. And a lot of them like it because sheep don't bite back. You know what I'm saying? And, and so... Um, and then the shepherd figures out, you know, while that, that dog's got a hold of that sheep, it's real easy to get those shears out and make a little bit of money, get a little bit of that wool. And so before you know it, you've got the sheep dog attacking the sheep, you've got the wolves attacking the sheep, and, you know, it becomes about revenue, and nobody's actually looking out for, for the pockets. Now, I just heard that analogy. That is horrible to even talk about your citizens as, as sheep because that changes the hierarchy of our society the way it's supposed to be. The power's supposed to be at the top, and everybody works for them. And then, too, as, as a capitalist, is when somebody gets away from the flock, when they cross that hill, that's when they find the next big medical breakthrough where your Steve Jobs or your you know, your Bill Gates come around. You know, you're not supposed to try to wrangle people in and put them in rank and file. It's when people have that individual uh, individualism that something great happens. So it's it's just it's backwards thinking from the start. But then even 
as an effective police model, it becomes counterproductive. What, what, what percentage would you say, just offhand, of the activity of the police is devoted towards, um, say, the real crimes as opposed to drugs and traffic violations? God, I mean, it, almost exclusively drugs and traffic. I mean, because a lot of those higher crimes, you have to be at the right place at the right time. And you can do that if you're doing nothing else, if you're staking out, if you're saturating those neighborhoods, but you don't bring in any numbers that day, and then you get punished and in trouble. So what officers do is they'll, they'll push and push and push to get their numbers and contacts, and then, you know, what also happens is, you know, people are going to always do the path of least resistance. You have officers that would joke that, I've got my numbers for the day, I'm off duty. They'll mentally clock out, they'll go by the gas station and play on the computer or the phone or whatever. You know, so when you set that goal, that goal is met, and then you know, they slack off instead of where, you know, it used to, before they started the numbers-driven stuff, peer pressure was where it was. Like, you did not want to be the officer that had a burglar happen in your beat. Mm. And, you know, if the other officers didn't hear you doing stuff on the radio and if your supervisor didn't, they're coming to find you. And if they catch you slacking off, they're going to, I mean, they're going to ridicule you. It's that, that alpha male kind of peer pressure thing. Our shift's not going to be the one that gets hit. You're not going to bring us down. And it was all about vigil vigilancy and keeping the crimes from happening, keeping it down. And you might not have any you know, huge numbers at the end of shift, but, you know, no crime happened. That's the measure of police work is what doesn't happen. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Well, when you, you set a quota, you set the crime rate. You say minimum, our crime rate has to be this. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's just counterproductive to what law enforcement is supposed to be doing from the start. But it, it, that's why I say it's got to come back to, to revenue generation. You know, you write 23,712 tickets a year in a 50-some-thousand person town, and you're getting $161 a ticket. That's an incredible amount of revenue. And, you know, that's just hard for a, for a city to say no to, I guess. So why do you think they deny the quota system if it really exists? Why don't they just admit it? I mean, it's, it's legal in Alabama. Now, their, their policy says that they won't have it. So they would be, one, admitting they violated their own policy. But, two, it's wildly unpopular with the public. You know, it, it, people, you know, always suspect quotas because you can tell. You know, you drive around, you see eight cars pulled over, you check your, your calendar, and it's, yep, it's the end of the month, you know. That, that's why my story got big, I think. It's not because I told some, somebody something new, but because I confirmed what everybody already yeah. expected. You know, but but um, I said it's just widely unpopular with the public, so I think they'll just deny, deny, deny. They'll turtle up in a shell, you know, let it blow over, let people forget about it, and, and go back to it. So. What, what about the, the public pressure for ever more police? I mean, is it, is it concerning you? Because I, mean, I, I detected, you know, not just in Auburn, but in my mom's town and other towns, there seems to be this public attitude that you can't have enough police, even even though people are annoyed by you know uh, getting stopped for ridiculous reasons or whatever. There, there's almost a mythical kind of attachment that people have towards this idea of police. I think it's it's that psychological availability bias. Basically, it's, it's you know you see one high crime on TV, and you know that becomes your norm. You know what I'm saying? Like, man, if we have more police, we can stop this. You know, but but so I think it's the public kind of sensationalizing what does happen, which, you know, every time a crime doesn't happen doesn't make the news. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's just when you have this one instance that happened and it's horrible and it shocks you, that's what you base your decisions on because that's what you have available to you, you know. So I, I think it's just if they understood, you know, the that if what the amount of police they had or even less would work more effectively to stop these higher crimes, mm -hmm. you could go with a lot less. And that's less cost. And that's less, you know, wasted downtime for your for your public servants, and that's also, you know, less cops, you know, nitpicking smaller things and actually going after what you paid them for to protect you and your property. 
What do you think about the prospects of, of, of private security agencies replacing uh, the police in terms of providing real security? You know, we've seen this in like Detroit, and I think yeah. in Houston, uh, Stefan, I think you have your own sort of subscription-based services. Do you think that that's viable at all? Uh, absolutely. I think there's few few problems the free market can't fix. I mean, one thing, if you have this this force, they're going to be encouraged. One, they're, they're directly accountable. If you don't like them, you can straight fire all of them. Where now, when you got a city, you've got to have wait till elections come around. You've got to, you know, this is one small issue in a spectrum of political issues. You know, and it is harder to, to get to the chief of police now with the, the current public safety model and things. So he's not as beholden to the public. You know, you don't see these types of problems as much with a sheriff's department because the sheriff is directly elected. So if you had a company that was directly hired and has this expectation, has these civil contracts and things like that, if they violate it, you know, then, then you can go after them civilly, you could fire them, and there's always a competitor that can do it, you know, with a better service, with less cost to the public. You know, I, I think that that competition, you know, is, is always going to be better than a, a monopoly, and I think that we've seen that the private sector always does it better than the public mm -hmm. sector in, in whatever you're doing. So. What, Sam, do you have any questions about that? Yeah, I do. Well, I was going to ask him another question. Um, and, uh, well, correct me. I'd like your opinion on this. It seems from what you've said that um, – um, am I on still? I'm, I've got a technical thing here. Am I, am I here? Yeah. Okay. So would you agree? I mean, it seems to me that if we got rid of the drug laws, okay, just the drug war itself and other some other state interventions and maybe reduce cops' uh, attention to traffic crimes, you could reduce the amount of cops by half, like go to half, and then Probably. they could focus on real crimes. Probably. Then, sorry, go ahead. A lot of your, your more serious crimes are – because of drugs, you know what I'm saying? It's just because they have this illegal racket. You know, what made Al Capone famous and dangerous was prohibition. You know what I'm saying? If, if it's legalized, then you don't have the, the, the shootings and the robbing and, and all these other things to cover it up and trafficking. So that, and then, too, like you said, that's just the focus of our time. You know what I'm saying? So, and well, that's, that's, my, that's my point is that if you, yeah. if you got rid of drug laws, number one, crime would fall drastically. And you could reduce the number of cops, and the ones that are remaining, you could focus them on real crimes, which would be lower in the first place. So you basically would quintuple or multiply the effectiveness of law enforcement for real crimes by a factor of, say, 10, and save 50% of the budget in the bargain. So if you're really interested in crime reduction, you need to get rid of the drug war. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I'm curious what you're doing now. You said you got fired, so what, what, are, you, what are your plans now? What are you doing? I'm going to uh, school full time, trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. So, uh, you know, it's kind of refreshing to have all the doors open, but kind of scary too. But uh, I'm actually looking at some uh, private law enforcement opportunities. There's there's a few companies that I, that I've been talking to, and one that reached out to me when they heard my story. So, um, that that's kind of what uh what I'm looking to now is, is maybe some kind of private law enforcement or or security, something like that. So I can use my experience going forward. So. But you ran up pretty well under this pressure, and you were under a lot of pressure. I mean, there's not many people that be. Uh, welcome that that level of intensity of, of uh, criticism. So I think it's just heroic uh, that you, you did what you did. And you came forward. I mean, you stood up against quite a machine. Well, I appreciate you saying so, but you know, again, you know, a lot of police officers get into it for idealistic reasons, and that was me. You know, I swore an oath to serve and protect, and that included against our own government. And when it came to the point where I'd exhausted every means to fix it within, the only option is to make them beholden to the public and, and let the public deal with it as they see fit. So. And if it costs me my job, you know, again, you know, I'm a religious man. And, you know, I don't think that the city is my provider. You know what I'm saying? So.
Yeah. I, I wish more policemen were uh, took their oath seriously, like you seem to have done. Um, I did have one kind of mundane question. Um, this might interest Jeff too. I, I would imagine you would agree that the drug war and other government policies really devastate the minorities, the blacks, the poor. They really devastate these communities more. You know, they create the underclass. They create all kinds of problems. Um, um, I'm curious, just from your insider perspective, how are the rich and the poor treated differently, like, say, in a given traffic stop? Um, someone who's from the outside, who doesn't speak good English, who's maybe a minority or looks poor, or doesn't have a nice car compared to a well-dressed, high-heeled local businessman or someone who's connected. Is, is there a systematic uh, uh, favoritism there? Absolutely, yeah. Justice is definitely not blind, and that was one thing I, I complained about um, all the way into to internal affairs is uh, uneven administration of justice. You know, you have a, a one the, the type when you're forcing contacts, the people are going to get contacted the most are going to be the lower income people, are going to be the minorities because it's just more of a norm and acceptable to go out in a black male in a hoodie than say you know a middle aged white you know well dressed person. You know, just the other police, that's just more acceptable, and that's more what they're encouraging. And then, two, when it when it gets to the court, you know, if, if you're having to write more tickets and having to push more minor crimes, that's going to affect the lower people more just because they have less income. You know, a speeding ticket, somebody that makes six figures a year isn't going to hurt to somebody that's mm -hmm. making minimum wage and getting by. But also, mm -hmm. when they get in trouble the first time, you take their driver's license from them. And now they have trouble getting to work, they have trouble paying bills and things, and then they're walking. And every time they walk, we jump out in contact. And then there's another chance to put another charge on them, and that's, you know, it's just every time they turn around, they're getting contacted over and over and over again. And then when it comes to court, you know, it's, you know, uh, it's, you know I'll leave out names, but specific instance you have, you know, a, like say an athlete or, you know, a, a higher profile person gets charged with the exact same thing as a minority, they'll get some kind of counseling where they'll stay off the record with that minority is going to get jail time, you know, and a fine and, and court costs and all that. So it's definitely not evenly administered. How would you recommend uh, average citizens respond to this kind of system? I mean, this is a problem uh, for everybody, and uh, we've all tasted it. I mean, would you have any general advice for how citizens can, can, can deal with a system that seems to be targeting everyone this way? Yeah, the, the big thing is they don't, nobody wants to go against the police. They like police. They feel like they keep them safe. They understand it's generally a thankless job. It's hard, but, but don't mesh your lines thinking that if I, I go against bad policing policy, I'm going against police officers. Because the police officers are also opposed to it, because we see this ineffective. Nobody wants to come to a job and be ineffective. You know what I'm saying? You want to do what you were hired to do. So one, be very, very vocal. You know, that silence speaks volumes. You know what I'm saying? If, if the city does this and they get away with it, then that silence is we can do more and they'll do more. You know, be heard. If you feel like that your police are are putting enforcement in the wrong areas, folks on the wrong stuff, speak it out. Heard we're public servants, we're paid by your tax dollars to protect you and your property. If you feel we're not doing a good job, then you need to, to make that heard. Same thing as if I was making your coffee and I did a bad job, you take your business somewhere else. If your public officials aren't you know, meeting your, your expectations and your needs, then get rid of them. And also look for efficiency. You know, Government's a huge thing of waste. And like we talked about, there, there's better use of our time than, than minor traffic violations. Well, I, I I love this. I appreciate I appreciate your thoughts and your uh, and what you've done. That's well, great. I appreciate the opportunity to be on. Why do you suppose that you're uh, one of the few? Are, are, are there others who are doing doing what you've done? I've talked to some. When my story broke, I had some that were kind of fighting 
the, the same battle in their mm -hmm. departments. They kind of ask for help, but it always gets to the point where it's their job and their house paper and feeding their kids, you know, or is it totaling the line? And, you know, one day, you know, that, that's a lot of people uh, in my department. You know, they were opposed to it and they would fight it in-house as much as they could, but, but if they can't get you for one thing, they'll get you for another. You know, it's the same thing. You, know, you make enough laws, everybody's a criminal. You know, same thing in the police department. You have enough rules, eventually somebody's going to break one, and so you might not be able to get them for speaking out against the quota, but next time they make even more mistakes. So that's that's what they were seeing is if, if you play the game, you get promoted, you you know, you're going to get more money or you get special positions, then you have a chance to get out of control and not deal with it, or you can do like other people have done and speak out and then get fired for some arbitrary reason, or not, they, they won't fire you, they'll give you the two-paper trick. You either quit or you're, or you're fired, and everybody's going to choose to quit, you know, but... Uh, We've had officers that have, you know, beaten their wives. We've had officers that have gotten caught driving drunk, almost hit another cop car head on, that have purged themselves in court. None of them get fired. As long as you play the game, your job is safe. You know, you commit a violent crime, still work there, but if you rock the boat, you're, you're going to get forced out. You know, you, you go against the thin blue line, you're gone. And so most officers, when faced with that, will either just quietly leave and go someplace else, or they'll play the game long enough to get out of patrol and get to someplace where they're not as directly affected by. So it's just, you know... When, when you got kids to feed, you got house papers to make, they, they got some choices to make. And, and then like I said, this, you know, the, the amount of pressure and, and things that I've gone through, my family's gone through and all, it, it's been incredible, you know, but, you know, like I said, it just, it just had to be done. And I hope this will, you know, encourage other officers to at least internally take a stand. So if they're, if they're getting from the people and they're getting it from within, I'm hoping that it, that'll change. Very exciting, huh, Stefan? It's fantastic. Yeah. Great guest. Yes. So, glad, so glad you found Justin. Well, this, we should call it a day then uh, and uh, meet up again next week, shall we? Love to do it. Thanks a lot for being on. Appreciate it. And uh, join us next week for Liberty Talk. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Oh, well, I'll enjoy it. <laughs>